Adventure Seekers Welcome, Jedi, Ninja, and Wizards Tolerated. Thank you for joining us on our first episode. I'm your host, Ran Law. The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is a source of all true art and science. Albert Einstein. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so by following the links provided by anchor.fm. If you want to really go over the top with your support, you can also go to my website and follow the link to Kindle Books on Amazon.com. Adventure is always mysterious. At least that's how it seems to me. I want to encourage everyone to email with any questions or comments you would like me to address. My email address is rand at rand-lawrence.com. And my webpage is www.rand-lawrence.com. Think of this channel as a campfire experience. Now it's time to move on to the next segment, Questions for Sensei. Due to Sensei's distrust of the internet, I will read his responses to questions set before him. The first question is, should I get a big dog for home defense? Sensei's reply was no, absolutely not. A big dog is not necessary for home defense. A dog's main job is to bark and produce slippery landmines for burglars to lose their kazushi, falling and possibly injuring themselves before they enter the premises. Even though a large dog produces more slippery surface material, a little can go a long way. The trick is to make sure you walk the dog next to any windows that a burglar may attempt to enter during the night. The benefit of the small dog will become apparent the next morning when you have to go out and clean up any unused portions. The second question for home defense is, what should a person do if they're a cat person? Sensei's reply was, a cat is no good for home defense. They are more likely to welcome a burglar in the middle of the night just because they perceive them to be a diversion from their boredom. They will probably already be upset with you for ignoring them. But more likely than not, the cat will ignore the burglar just as they ignore you. A cat will not provide slippery landmines, as they always try to hide any of their bodily functions from human attention. Unless you have a prize-winning quilt that you purchase from a fair or a farmer's market, then such an item will be deemed worthy in the cat's eyes to display one of their many bodily excretions. However, I may have misspoke as to them being totally ineffective. There is always a chance that the cat will provide some sort of obstacle for the burglar to trip over. It is common knowledge that cats spend much of their time trying to calculate the most effective manner for tripping humans. It has long been rumored that Kano had studied cats for many years before he included foot sweeps into judo. A secondary defense utilizing cats would be to sweep them up from the floor as they ran off, screaming like a banshee after tripping the burglar. At this time, it would be appropriate to throw the cat in the burglar's face as he rose to his feet. This would give the dog enough time to rouse from its slumber and come in to execute a bite to the burglar's groin. But of course, the dog would have to be large enough to reach burglar's groin, so maybe I will revise my original statement and suggest a big dog is better. It was at this point I had to stop with my questions for Sensei. Normally, I ask Sensei three questions, but after these two answers, I didn't have the heart to go on. If you'd like to support this podcast, 
you can do so by joining me on Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash randlaw with no space between the rand and the law. A haiku, The Old Pond by Matsu Basho. An old silent pond, a frog jumps into the pond. Splash, silence again. Our next segment is reserved for review of adventures from emails sent to us from our listeners. The topics covered should include trips and seminars that you've attended, things that inspire a sense of adventure in you and or your martial art practice. Oh, and before I forget, if you have any questions for Sensei, feel free to send these in as well. As a special treat for our first episode, we are going to introduce two guests. I'm sure you've heard of them. They both got their start in singing, and they are both known for their amazing voices. As you get to know these gentlemen, you will see that synchronicity played a great part in their life, or I should say, lives separately. As far as I know, they have no connection with each other. But then again, there is the seven degrees of separation. So who knows? You will have to ask them, as I don't have the answers. Both men had rubbed elbows with the rich and famous, and some may consider both of them fall in that category themselves. Another thing they both had in common was they had amassed a sizable nest egg to retire on, only to have everything they had worked for stolen by a friend, or at least someone they both considered friends. But again, this was not something they did together, but parallels in their separate lives, but enough with similarities. It's their differences that make each of these men stand out from each other. Both are brilliant in their own fields. Apart from the manner of dress, which is strikingly dissimilar, the thing that stood out to me the most was the difference in their upbringing. One seemed to have the full support of his mother and father, while the other had very little contact with his father, and while he had connection with his mother, most of that connection seemed to be placing barriers in his way instead of support. One man is considered to be a man's man, and the other man, well, let's say he's also considered to be a man's man, but maybe in a different way. While both men are celebrities, one has sold out venues like large arenas, Madison Square Garden, in fact. The other man, made his bones on television, but you're just as likely to listen to him on a podcast named The Way I Heard It. The rock star and the television celebrity, Reg Dwight and Mike Rowe. You might recognize the rock star better by the name he is known and loved around the world by Sir Elton John. Of course, I, I don't have either of these two celebrities in my home office but I do have their two books, Mike Rowe, The Way I Heard It, and Me, Elton John, by Sir Elton John. So if you want to learn more about either of these two men, I highly recommend both books. There's nothing quite like cooking a T-bone steak over open flame. The mixture of wood smoke and the sizzle of the steak just makes my mouth water. But thinking about campfires also brings to mind some of my favorite students and adventures we've had while out hiking on overnight backpacking trips. A lot of times, adventures are theoretically highly anticipated, but when it comes to the actual event of strapping on a backpack and heading off into the wilderness, or whatever semblance of wilderness that the great outdoors can provide us, the cold hard fact of sleeping on a tree root on the cold hard ground loses some of its appeal, especially if it's pouring down rain. 
However, there's always a few diehard students, men that look death in the face and laugh. Well, maybe not laugh, but at least chuckle. And by death, I mean mildly unpleasant circumstances. You know, like not being able to find the can opener, forcing you to smash open the can of pork and beans with a rock so that you can add your frozen wieners into the communal campfire cooking pot. Who cares if you lost half of the contents of the can in an act of desperation to open it by dropping a boulder from a nearby cliff on top of the can? Any dirt that you scoop up in the attempt to rescue some of the errant beans just adds more minerals to your diet and or wood fiber. If you count the bits of sticks, leaves, and stems, it's all fiber. After all, fiber is good for you, right? My core group of diehard students were called the Royal Court. At least amongst themselves. I'm sure the rest of the student body only referred to them as the kooks or the crazy ones. The reason that they had chosen the name of the Royal Court was that their names corresponded with titles of nobility. Conrad, spelled with a K, as the name implies, was the self-appointed king of the group. Then Baron, Earl, and Duke all argued as to where their name came in next in line for the throne. I had to break the sad news to them that Duke was in fact the next in line, if my vague recollection of European aristocracy was correct. This news was a crushing blow, both Baron and Earl, both of whom went out and bought themselves a dog after our first dojo campout. The odd thing about this was, both men had selected the name of Duke for their canine companion, but that's a story for another time. The reason that they chose the name Duke for their dogs was due to more than just difficulties with opening up a can of beans, as you will hear. It had been a cool morning when we started off on our hike, and everyone was excited and well-rested, looking forward to the adventure that lay before us. This lasted into the first break, which came about 45 minutes into the walk. This was when Duke began to complain about being tired and needing somebody to help him with his load. Looking at Duke's pack, it seemed that he had been preparing for a journey across the Siberian tundra or an assault on Mount Everest. Although I might be exaggerating slightly, he had at least enough gear to keep us all supplied in case we happened upon K-9 or had to follow a dog sled team on the Iditarod Trail. I had warned him when we began that he might have gone a bit overboard with packing a parka which he had draped across the top of his 80-pound backpack when I suggested that he lighten his load by leaving some of his unessential gear back in our vehicles, he assured us all that everything he had was essential. Baron, Earl, Conrad, and myself took this opportunity to point out that we were each carrying two canteens and a bedroll of sorts with either small backpacks and or fanny packs to carry the rest of our essential items. Duke assured us all that he was fully capable of carrying his own load. The thing that he failed to mention was the distance he was prepared to carry it. Everyone knew on the way in that it was going to be 20 miles to our campsite, following a spring rain-slickened mud trail when no one was willing to help him with his load, citing his earlier statement and our warning. Our mood was not enhanced when we got stuck along the way with a brief pop-up spring shower that was forecasted. We hadn't been too concerned when it started, as this possibility had been predicted and prepared for. 
and just as our weatherman had predicted, it was only a five-minute shower. A five-minute shower followed briefly by two hours of horizontal rain and a brief hailstorm. Thankfully, there was no lightning or thunder, so we took shelter under a nearby railroad trussel that shot over a trail. There was almost a musical effect as the hailstones banged against the steel railroad trussel. While we were all altered in place underneath of the towering steel structure over our heads, Conrad quizzed Duke if he was prepared for this eventuality, and Duke was pleased to announce that he was, and he produced a small fold-up umbrella which Earl quickly borrowed and stepped out from underneath of the covering structure of steel, opened up the umbrella just to see if it provided adequate protection against the hailstorm, which it did, surprisingly. Well, surprisingly for about a minute and a half. That was until the wind gust came along, which completely altered the shape of the umbrella as the wind gust tore the device from Earl's hand after a brief moment where it had converted itself into a parasail, lifting Earl two feet off of the trail and into the nearby briar patch. Still, Earl made it back up to the trail, pretty much unscathed other than a few bruises from the dwindling pelleting of hailstones. When Earl returned, Duke immediately informed him that he owed him one umbrella. But Earl took this in stride and apologized for the loss of the device, that had become so entangled in the briar patch that he was unable to retrieve it. And Duke, being the kind-hearted and generous type, took pity on Earl, seeing lumps and bruises from the hailstones and the scratches and the blood and torn clothing from the briar patch, told him to think nothing of it and that he could have the umbrella delivered to his home before Monday of next week. Earl replied this was fine, as he reminded Duke that he needed to pack out everything he brought in. Earl then told the rest of us we could go ahead and hike to our noon waypoint, and that he would wait until Duke found his umbrella and catch up with us later. Everyone agreed that this would be the best way for us to maintain our schedule, and by going up ahead we would already have the campfire set up and have our communal first meal together. We already had it worked out that we would have frozen hot dogs that should be thawed out by the time we made our lunchtime break. Every meal had been planned out ahead of time, and we all knew that the beanies and weenies were going to be our first meal. What we had not calculated was that Earl and Duke were the two members of our group that were carrying the beanies and weenies. So when they arrived, we were already about a half hour behind, and that was when we discovered that no one could find a can opener. Since you already know how we got the beanies and weenies open the first time, there's no need to repeat that part of the story. Suffice it to say, everyone was disgruntled over the ashes, twigs, stems, and occasional pebble or chunk of mud they found floating in the bean sauce. And so by the time I came back with a handful of straight green wiener roasting wands, the hot dogs had thawed out from their nice bath in the dirty bean concoction that had been scraped up off of the trail path. So while the royal court roasted Conrad, Baron, Earl, and Duke picked through the beans, trying to eat only the clean ones individually. By this point, they were eating in silence as they watched me taking a spare can of pork and beans and using friction to loosen the seal 
on top of the lid by rubbing it vigorously over a flat stone. When the seal broke, all of the beans remained in the can, contamination-free. I placed the can on the edge of the fire, just deep enough into the coals to make it bubble. I didn't want to add them to the pot because it was still dirty. We managed to make sure everyone had a sufficient portion of the clean beans dumped into their mess kit. This improved the group's morale immensely at first. That's when Duke began to complain that the beans didn't have enough flavor, and Earl, being considerate, scooped out a glob of whatever concoction was still in the bean pot and dumped it onto Duke's mess kit. Everyone laughed except, well, except for Duke. But Duke graciously took the prank. He then explained that he meant it needed something else, maybe some hot sauce, and he went to his pack to dig out the appropriate flavoring. While he was doing this, he tossed a few items out onto the open ground, and one of them happened to be the lost can opener. And by the time our meal was over, everyone chipped in to help lighten the load of Duke's oversized backpack. So we convinced Duke to pull out some of the unessential items and hide them off of the side of the trail where we could pick them up after his supplies had dwindled. And after 45 minutes, Earl decided that it was time to reinspect Duke's pack just to see if there was anything extra that needed to come out. We, of course, all wanted to see what other curiosities was inside of Duke's pack, and when a old-fashioned boombox with eight spare D-cell batteries came out, Earl was livid. But the fight didn't really start until he found the slate that Duke had been picking up along the trail, explaining that he was going to piece together a blackboard. The trail has a wonderful way of making shared misfortunes and hardships erase petty grudges. As twilight settled in upon us, we built our camp and started a campfire. Everything was going good until it was time to open the next meal. The canned pasta would have been great if we had a flat rock to loosen the rim of the can's lid, or, failing that, the can opener that had been left behind. But that's a story for another time. Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Until next time, this is Rand Law reminding you to follow your dreams.